Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So back with another episode of This Week in Basketball, we're going to focus on uh, just like a couple weeks here given the, the tragic news of Kobe last week. We're going to focus on January 20th to February 2nd. Uh, and yeah, let's kind of run through a quick uh, recording this at 1.17 p.m. on a Sunday. Sure to get this done here before the Super Bowl later today and try to catch uh, the Raptor game as well. Um, so let's, yeah, let's run through it. So this happened a while ago, but uh, Blake Griffin, out for the season after getting knee surgery, and uh, the Pistons are getting a $9.2 million disabled player exception. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Pistons look like pretty much out of the playoff race at this point, uh, really about evaluating some of their young guys, taking a look at guys like, you know, Sekou Dumboya, Svi Makailuk, and see what they have in those guys moving forward, and uh, they can uh, make a decision on how they're going to shape the roster, you know, based on somehow based on how some of those guys play. So that's pretty much where the Pistons are to me at this point is, you know, more so in just uh, – uh, evaluation mode, uh, I would say, for the most part. I'm just going to check the standings to see where the Pistons are. The Pistons are in 11th, uh, and they're, uh, I think they're four and a half games back of a playoff spot, but uh, in 11th place behind the Wizards and the Bulls. Um, I just don't see them having the firepower to make it. So evaluation mode uh, until further notice here for the Pistons, and obviously Derrick Rose on the trade market, so is Andre Drummond. So if either one of those guys... Uh, get moved obviously their playoff chances fall even lower so yeah that's pretty much uh how the Pistons season has been uh, fairly disappointing unfortunately uh Dwight Powell of the Mavericks unfortunately tore his Achilles um very sad news to hear he's going to be obviously out for the season and obviously part of next season as well big loss here for the Mavericks um the good news here for Dwight Powell is he got his money he did get paid I think he got paid in the a four-year, $40 million range. I don't remember the exact deal. It was something along $10 million a year. So it's good that he does have financial security recovering from this injury. And uh, also a big blow for Team Canada uh, in the 2020 Olympics. Obviously, Dwight Powell uh, very likely will not be ready for that. So there is going to have to be an adjustment made for Team Canada as well. But um, obviously, the worst news comes for Dwight Powell here. Uh, and hopefully, he can get back uh, to, you know, most of what his usual self was. But the Dallas Mavericks uh, obviously have to make a move to get another center here. So they did make some moves. Um, so they so basically here's how the sequential uh, order of trades happened. So OKC traded Justin Patton to Dallas for Isaiah Roby, and the Mavericks also got cash considerations in that trade. And then in a subsequent move, uh, Justin Patton was waived by the Mavericks to make room uh, for a roster spot and that basically what they did with that roster spot is they made a trade with the Golden State Warriors where the Warriors would send Willie Colley Stein to the Mavericks and uh, the uh, the Mavericks are sending the Utah Jazz sec- 2020 second rounder back to Golden State so uh, likely below 45 um Second rounder there for the Jazz, probably around 50 or something around uh, that in 2020. And in uh, return, Willie Cauley-Stein going back to the Mavericks to fill uh, that spot that Dwight Powell kind of left because of his injury. I still have faith in Willie Cauley-Stein's. I guess the guy I liked ever since he was drafted, you know, by the Kings in uh, I think it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken. 
This, I, I like his ability to you know run the floor. I think I still think he's got some untapped potential uh, to realize, and uh, we'll see if he can make the most of his opportunity there in Dallas. But uh, I mean, given the asset that they had to give up, maybe a, a pick that was going to be you know in the late forties or fifties in the second round of uh, the twenty twenty draft, which uh, by most people's standards is. A weaker draft, I think uh, it was a very small asset to give up to get a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein to see if he could fit into their system and, you know, play with Doncic, play with Brunson, etc. So a uh, nice piece of business here for the Mavericks to uh, uh, recover quickly after that unfortunate Dwight Powell injury. So Cauley-Stein to the Mavericks to replace uh, the injured Dwight Powell and uh, the Warriors are getting a the sorry the Jazz 2020 second rounder uh, in return. Okay, let's talk All Stars. All Stars were released uh, a few days ago. Uh, let's let's talk about them. Let's talk about where I went wrong. Uh, maybe something we've learned uh, through this process as well. So, in the West, the starters are James Harden, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, I think I got most of those right in terms of the starters. Um, I know that I knew that those five guys were going to start. I don't think there was any you know any big doubt about that. And the reserves here, we've got Nikola Jokic, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Brandon Ingram, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard. In the East, we've got Kemba Walker, Trey Young, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Pascal Siakam as the starters. The reserves are Jason Tatum, Kyle Lowry, Chris Middleton, Ben Simmons, uh, Jimmy Butler, Demonis Sabonis, and Bam Adebayo. Okay, let's see, let's see where I went wrong here. So in the West... I had making the team when I did this. Uh, let me see the date that I did this. I think I believe I did this on January twelfth, and these got released. I think January thirtieth, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So, um, I, in the West, I had jo- Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, and Devin Booker making the team, and instead replacing those spots were uh, Russell Westbrook, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, Paul George, I expected him to play a few more games than he actually did. He's missed, you know, a few more games uh, in addition to what he missed earlier in the season because of that shoulder injury. He's had some other uh, nagging injuries that has kept him out. Didn't play enough games. Okay, that's fair. I'm not going to argue quibble too much with that. Uh, the same kind of goes with Towns. But the thing with Towns is his team is also losing, you know, quite a bit. Um, I think they're 14th right now in the West. Yeah, 14th in the West. Um, you know, a wide margin away from making the playoffs here. So, you know, despite Towns' unbelievable numbers, he's putting it up on a team that's largely been losing, uh, hasn't gotten any better since that time, and um, he and he's missed some games as well. He missed a good chunk of games as well. So I don't uh, I don't blame him for that. Now, Devin Booker is uh, what I think a snub. I think Devin Booker probably should have made it uh, over any one of these three guys, uh, if you ask me. I think Mitchell. Um, you know, he was the guy that I thought maybe had the best case because, you know, he's putting up very solid numbers, good efficiency, doing it on a winning team. Uh, the Jazz right now, I think, are – I think they're second in the West, are they not? No, actually, Jazz are fourth, but it's uh, it's it, it's very close. There are two games at a second uh, in the Western Conference. So the team is winning. You know, Donovan Mitchell putting up massive numbers. You know, I'm not necessarily – I wasn't necessarily too – uh, ecstatic about having two Jazz guys in there, but you know that massive winning streak they had, you know, going you know nineteen and two over the last twenty one games without Connolly and stuff like that. Really, 
you know, vaulted them back into uh, the conversation of, you know, being an impressive team and uh, a pseudo title contender, we'll talk about, we'll call them. And their main offensive engine uh, in that time is Donovan Mitchell, despite, you know, good contributions from uh, Boyan Bogdanovich and, uh, and Joe Ingles. You know, the addition of uh, Jordan Clarkson has helped as well. But uh, Mitchell, obviously the driving force of that offense. So I don't really necessarily have too many quibbles now that I think back. Again, I think uh, I might have done these all-star picks a little early because uh, uh, recency bias seemed to have, you know, played a little bit of a part in here. Um, I think Booker should have probably made it over Ingram or Westbrook. Either one you want to take out to me is fine. Um, you know, Westbrook obviously had this massive stretch where Harden – uh, missed a couple of games and was just really hard and was just not really not playing well. And, you know, Westbrook carried the team for, you know, a good uh, eight to ten games there. Um, and he he was fantastic. So, I mean, but again, that's 20, 10 games out of what, like 40-ish is like, you know, less than 25% of the season. And uh, I want to know what about that first 75% of the season where he was struggling from three, you know, the, the still struggling from three, the efficiency wasn't there. Um, you know, his numbers over the last 10 games have bumped that up a little bit now. And, um, you know, obviously the coaches see that the Rockets, you know, are winning and stuff like that. But, I mean, um, I just I, I can't help but remember the first part of the season where Westbrook was struggling. And so I probably would have had Booker over Westbrook and uh, kept Brandon Ingram in there. Um, obviously, I did this back on January 12th. So I had George Towns and Booker all in the game. But, you know, after thinking about it a little bit um, at the time, I said, you know, there would be no real changes to my picks, barring any sort of crazy uh, hot streak or anything like that. And I think I think I was wrong there personally. I think uh, you know the last two weeks of the season, last two two and a half weeks of the season, really does matter. Recency bias does get into the coach's head a little bit, and um, I, th- I think that came into the play at least a little bit here. So uh, I probably would have had Booker over Westbrook and kept Ingram just because Ingram, you know, has been so good. And, it, and speaking of uh, good, so have uh, the Pelicans as of late. You know, Zion coming back has obviously helped that, but. You know, as of right now, there's still five, five, five or so games out of the playoff race, but um, I they, they went on that massive winning streak after starting out really slow. Um, so, you know, I, I have Ingram in there. I think he's had a very solid year. His efficiency has been fantastic. Three-point shooting has been fantastic. If I had to pick in the West, I think I would have had Booker over uh, Russell Westbrook. That's just, that's just my opinion, so. Um, okay, let's go to the Eastern Conference. Uh, so, guys that did make it: uh, Tatum, Middleton, and Trey Young. In them, in the, in their place, I had uh, Jalen Brown, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Bradley Beal. So, literally, the minute I picked Dinwiddie for All Star, Kyrie came back, and then he went back to the bench and started struggling a little bit. Uh, so, I understand why Dinwiddie wasn't in the game. Uh, that that kind of makes sense to me. Um. I think you could really only have two Celtics. I don't really think that you could have three Celtics. That was um, that would just seem to be too many. So it was either Brown or Tatum, and they cannibalized from each other. At the time, I think I said that there was a good taste, uh, sorry, a good case to have Jason Tatum in the game over Jalen Brown. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really too strong opinion of with Tatum over Brown. I think uh, you know Tatum has had a very good year. Um, you know, underrated defensively this year has really been a good off-ball defender. Jalen Brown, I still think, is a better defender than uh, Jason Tatum, better on-ball defender, uh, obviously. Um, but I, I still think Jalen Brown should have made it over Jason Tatum. I, I you know, Jalen Brown 
Um, you know, didn't have as good of on-off stats as Jason Tatum, but the, his uh, his numbers were very similar, and the efficiency was way up. He was doing uh, more with less, uh, in my opinion. So, you know, obviously Tatum averaging more points per game or whatever, but, you know, Jalen Brown, fantastic efficiency, almost 50% from the field, 38 from three on five attempts per game, 60% true shooting, all that good stuff. Um, so I, I, I stick, I stand by that. I think I would have had Brown in the game over Tatum, but I don't, I'm not really too, uh, upset or like outraged by Tatum making it over Brown. There's a, a bit of, uh, you know, the, the, there's a bit of not, I wouldn't say bias, but just like a stigma there, I guess, where, you know, Tatum is supposed to be the, the franchise player. And if Brown made it over Tatum, uh, for their first all-star game, they're, they're, would have been some feels there, I guess. So, um, yeah, yeah, again, no no quibbles with Tatum over Brown. At the time, I said there wasn't necessarily a case for Middleton. Um, I probably should have looked a little bit harder, in my opinion. Um, I mean, the guy, 50-40-90, best shooting of his career, uh, best scoring uh, of his career as well. He's He's been really good, man, and uh, I, I overlooked him. I'll admit it. I, I overlooked Chris Middleton a little bit. You know, 50% from the field. Uh, he's just under 90 from the free throw line, but 43 from three on five attempts per game. He's just shooting fantastic, shooting the damn lights out. All 63% true shooting. I, uh, I, I'll admit, I made a mistake not having Middleton uh, in this uh, in, in the game originally. I should have definitely had him, uh, at least definitely over Dinwiddie, uh, in my opinion. And I'll admit that I made a, a I made a boo boo there. <laughs> I should have had uh, Middleton in there. He's he's been fantastic this year. And the last one was Trey Young. Um, Trey Young was voted a starter, uh, in the game this year. And, you know, I, it, it's just, it's, I can't get over the stigma of him being, you know, the last, in the last place, uh, on the last place team in the NBA. It's, it's, it's very, very tough mentally for me to get over that hump because, you know, the idea that you, you pose that question, right? Like where would the Hawks be without, uh, without Trey Young? Well, they'd be in the same place they are now, which is 15th in the, in the East. So, like that's that I it was tough for me to get over, but again, you know when we think of all star games and we think of you know what they what they're you know made out to be, it's supposed to be for the fans, right? They're supposed to be entertaining. You want to see the most entertaining guys in there, and Trey is obviously a fantastic talent. He is a very entertaining uh, player, and uh, you know his on his on off numbers do speak volumes about how how much better the uh, the offense is with him on the floor as opposed to him off the floor. I understand that as well, but just that stigma of him being in last place and, you know, you ask that question, where would your team be without you? And when you're 15th in the East in the worst conference with him, you you would still be in the same place with or without Trey Young. So that that's, that's just my opinion. I understand he's not playing with the best of talent. I understand, you know, John Collins missed 25 games. Herter hasn't been there the whole season. I get it, but... You know, to me, it was just it was just tough for me to get over. So, you know, the guys that made it, Tatum, Middleton, and Trey uh, over Brown, Didwitty, and Beal. You know, that's tough for me to not have Beal in the game personally. It, that is, that is really really tough. I mean, he's captaining a ta- a top ten offense in the NBA here. I mean, his team is you know three and a half games here out of a playoff spot, very much in reach if they can get it going. And, you know, it's, it's just tough to leave him out. I understand defensively the Wizards are just atrocious. Beal is not having a great defensive season either. But those numbers, you just look at those You just look at those numbers and you think, how the hell can this guy be left off the team? Um, I think they, they throw out a stat where, like, uh, the last, 
you know, the guy averaging what Beal has been averaging hasn't been left off the all-star team in like 40 years, which is like, you know, pretty crazy. And, you know, his usage uh, being Beal's, you know, 32.4% usage, like he sh- it shouldn't be that high. It shouldn't be that high. He shouldn't have to do, you know, that much. And he's still averaging 57.6% true shooting, above average true shooting uh, on that ridiculous usage. You know, the three-point shooting hasn't been there, but, you know, 45 from the field is definitely not bad. Still getting his teammates involved with six assists a game. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, who would I have Beal in over? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's that's where that's where it gets a little bit sticky. I I, I don't have a clear answer. Like, are you gonna have him over Middleton, the uh, the second best player, having one of the best offensive seasons he's had of his career uh, on a team that's on pace for seventy wins? I don't know about that. You know, maybe you have him over Tatum, um, but again, you know, the winning you would really like to reward winning in this uh, in this exercise and. You know, Tatum obviously winning Beal isn't, and you know Trey like maybe maybe Trey Young maybe I would have Beal over Trey Young. You know, I just talked about you know the stigma around you know Trey and being on a losing team. So I mean, probably Beal over Trey. That's probably where I would go here. But uh, but yeah, Beal and uh, Beal and Devin Booker were the two biggest snubs in their respective conferences. And you know, Booker I would have over Westbrook, and Beal I would have over Trey Young. That's 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 my final answer. That's what I would say. So. Um, all in all, when we look back at these all-star picks, I think what we find is, you know, the coaches obviously vote for the seven reserves, and the coaches clearly like to reward winning. I think that's very clear based on the selections here. Um, all these uh, all these players in the East came from winning teams. Um, Tatum, Lowry, Middleton, Simmons, Butler, Sabonis, Autobio, all those t- all those guys are, you know, top six in the Eastern Conference. And then in the West, you know, Jokic, Mitchell, Paul, uh, Westbrook, uh, Gobert, Lillard, you know, Lillard and Ingram, not necessarily on winning teams. Um, but at the same time, you know, eventually you got to fill some of those spots with the, with the best players. And those guys aren't necessarily out of the playoff picture either. So, um, yeah, no, no quibbles about that. All right, I didn't have this actually like planned as like one of the uh, places I was going to go with this, but man, let's talk about this stretch that Damian Lillard is having recently. Like he has been just off the chain. Lillard has been absolutely going insane and crazy. It has been absolutely fantastic to see. Really love what I'm seeing here from Damian Lillard. You know, over the last you know, five or six games, 48 and 10, 36 and 11, uh, sorry, 48 and 10 assists, 36 points and 11 assists, 50 points and 13 assists, 47 points, eight assists, 61 and seven assists. And last night, 51 and 12 assists. Um, he's obviously putting up ridiculous numbers from three. I think he's the uh, first player in NBA history to hit six threes in six, six or more threes in six consecutive games. He's shooting incredibly efficient from the field. And the thing that's impressed me the most about Damian Lillard here is the assist numbers and the playmaking has been fantastic. Last night, 12 assists to just one turnover. I mean, uh, the playmaking from Damian Lillard has been vastly underrated this year, in my opinion. Now, uh, a lot of what Lillard uh, you know, is doing from, maybe not a lot, but some of what Lillard is doing from an assist perspective is basically just making the, the right pass out of the double team. So when he does get doubled, he's just, you know, making the, the correct pass and, you know, whether it be, you know, Ariza or, 
Carmelo Anthony or whoever the outlet is, Hassan Whiteside, they're they're able to make the correct decisions and play four on three. It's a lot like Harden esque actually, where um, he's at, he's able to make that pass out of the double team correctly. But you know he's also able to beat his defender off the dribble one on one. This being Lillard, Lillard can beat his guy off the dribble, suck that second guy in, and throw the lob, throw the throw the lay down bounce pass. He's really a lot of his assists are predicated on him being able to beat his initial man off the dribble and you know find the correct pass. Uh, where it needs to be, and uh, I just think it's been fan- fantastic. So, you know, Lillard up to 7.9, pretty much 8 assists per game to just 2.8 turnovers, so we're above uh, a 2 to 1 assist ratio, 2.8 assists uh, to turnover ratio, which is fantastic. Assist percentage, 33.8. That is the highest of his career. He has just been awesome. Uh, as of late, 29.8 points per game, the highest of his career by a decent margin, um, almost 30 a game. He's shooting 46% from the field, almost 40% from three on 10 attempts per game. Uh, what do you, what do you have to say? Damian Lillard has just been fantastic. 62.8% true shooting on nearly 30% usage. Nothing more you can say about this guy. Dame Lillard right now is playing the best basketball of his career. He's been in the zone for like almost two weeks now, and he's really making a run at this first team All NBA guard spot. Whether it be bumping out, you know, uh, Harden or Doncic, um, he's 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 in the running for this right now. The way he's playing, if there's if there's you know uh, a lot more of this to come, then we 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 got to believe that Lillard is hunting for that first team All NBA spot once again. So. Great to see from Damian Lillard. Um, obviously, one of my favorite players in the NBA, and glad to see that he is succeeding. And uh, just figured I'd have to uh, have to mention that, given how good he's been. Okay, last time before the unfortunate, you know, news about Kobe, I was going to do a game of the week with Zion Williamson first game, but he's played about five games since now, and he's about to play, you know, his sixth game uh, in about, you know, half an hour or something like that. But I, I'm recording this before that game starts. So let's take a look at, you know, how good has Zion been in his first five games this year. So he's played his first five games against the Spurs, the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Cavs, and the Grizzlies. So we that if you remember on uh, the 22nd of January, that game against the Spurs, it looked like it was going to be a pretty boring game, and then Basically, he came out in the fourth quarter and scored 17 points in a row, you know, 22 points in 18 minutes, 8 of 11 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and and the Zion coming out party had begun. Um, And then, you know, a little bit more minutes, minutes are ramping up, 21 against the Nuggets, you know, he had 15 points there, 7 of 9 from the field, only took one three and missed it. Uh, he had six rebounds, a steal, and a block there. Then against the Celtics, he played 27 minutes, uh, 21 points, 9 of 16 from the field. Again, just took one three, missed that one as well, but he had 11 rebounds and a couple of assists and a steal. Uh, against the Cavs, uh, ramping up the minutes a little more, 30 minutes now for Zion, 14 uh, points, 7 of 13 from the field, did not attempt a three with nine rebounds and, a, and an assist. And then finally, his last game against the Grizzlies, 29 minutes, uh, a career high, 24 points, 9 of 15 from the field. Again, did not attempt a three, six rebounds, three assists. So in those five games, but here's what I've seen. So offensively, 
He's been pretty good. I think uh, he's, you know, he's getting a lot of buckets around the rim. He's not taking many jump shots at all. You know, his athleticism finishing around the rim is still very good. Um, whether it's, you know, following his own uh, his own miss around the rim and, you know, having that very quick second jump for a putback. Uh, he's he's able to crash the offensive glass and, you know, put back missed shots with tip dunks and stuff like that. He's a, he's still a very good lob catcher at this point. His uh, ability to, you know, uh, go up and grab those lobs off of D off of not, not DHOs, but um, um, off of out of bounds plays, you know, in transition. He's uh, really developed some good chemistry with Lonzo Ball, who's throwing him some of these good lobs, which is good to see. Um, so a lot of that stuff, and, uh, there was this crazy, crazy finish against the Grizzlies where, um, I think Drew threw him a lob pass. He caught it with his left, or I think it, yeah, I think it was with his left behind the backboard and all in one motion brings it to his right and then puts it in, uh, off the side of the glass at a sharp angle. That was just incredible athleticism to see there. So, you know, offensively, uh, he's been pretty good. You can tell maybe a, a few times he's lost, you know, on offense, but that's going to come around more games, more minutes, you know, more game film, knowing where his shots are coming from, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I've seen some flashing of the passes of the passing that you would like to see. Like I've seen some, you know, some good passes here and there, but I'd like to see a little bit more. That was one of, you know, Zion's underrated skills coming out of college was his ability to pass the basketball. And, uh, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I saw a little bit of it against the Spurs, but haven't seen much um, since then, so I'd like to see a little bit more of that, and uh, maybe we'll see it uh, this afternoon against the Rockets. So defensively, I think there's still some stuff to be desired for Zion. He gets lost uh, off the ball a little bit uh, and little, relies a little bit too much on his athleticism instead of playing with his feet. Uh, you know, there's times where, you know, guys drove by him and he just wants to kind of swat their, you know, shots from behind instead of really trying to keep guys in front. Um, so it's a little bit of that. But he's gonna get some time. He'll get he'll get better. Um, there's been some you know opportunities on the weak side where he could have rotated to block a shot or to contest or change a shot that he you know just kind of didn't just kind of stood there and watched the ball. So you know those things will come. You know understanding rotations and instincts and stuff like that will get a little bit better as he plays more games. But you know still something right now to be desired defensively from Zion. But uh, offensively, I thought he's he's looked pretty good all in all, and I expect him to get better as well. All right, game of the week for next week. Uh, we're going to do uh, Raptors-Pacers. Uh, two teams here at about the same um, place uh, in the playoffs here. You know, there's a little bit of a log jam between two and six uh, in the playoff picture here. Uh, the Raptors, Celtics, Heat, and Pacers. Uh, Pacers are a little behind the Raptors now as the Raptors have won close to 10 in a row here. Um, so, you know, Pacers 31-18, and 18, Raptors 35-14. and 14. Uh, so we're going to watch that. Oladipo has come back for a game as well. He uh, he hit a nice uh, game-tying shot uh, there in his return against the Bulls and uh, had a, was a little emotional after the game as well uh, due to the you know the Kobe Bryant news and just working so hard you know to get back. So uh, let's see now that Oladipo probably has a, a couple more games under him. Maybe he'll, he'll ramp up the minutes a little bit and uh, get a chance to get his legs back under him against the Toronto Raptors. So Raptors Pacers February seventh. Uh, I think that's a Thursday or it's a Friday. Um, so Friday, February 7th, 8 p.m. That's the one we'll do for next week's uh, game of the week. 
All right, let's finish off the podcast here. What I learned this week. So, you know, after the Kobe uh, news, which is, you know, still unfortunate, still kind of hanging on my head, I thought the best way to, to, to do it outside of, you know, a podcast, which I, uh, I recorded last and posted last week, was to kind of go over some of my favorite Kobe moments. So I was watching, you know, a bunch of games, uh, some of my, you know, favorite moments. Uh, one of my favorite moments was when Kobe uh, in the 2009 NBA Finals, um, he's he's got an interview after Game Two, and the and the guy basically says he's like, uh, "You're up 2-0. Like we've yet to see a smile at you. Are you not happy?" And Kobe says, "What's there to be happy about?" And the reporter says, "Well, you're up 2-0." And Kobe says, well, "Job's not finished." He goes, "Job finished? I don't think so." And just an absolute straight face, which you could, you know, just obviously embodies the competitor he was and the, how badly he wanted to win uh, after losing against Boston the year before. Um, so little little moments like that, you know, watching some of his best games, the 81-point game, the 65 points against the Blazers in double overtime, uh, the 48 against uh, the Kings in 2000, game four uh, when Shaq fouled out and he had to take over uh, in the fourth quarter in overtime. All those games, you know, were fantastic, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm missing a bunch too. You know, the 62 against Dallas in three quarters, all that stuff. But one of the things I had personally in my room here is the the Mamba mentality Kobe book, where it's like, uh, it's like a foreword from Pau Gasol, and uh, you know, Phil Jackson's got some uh, memoirs in there as well and stuff like that, and it shows a bunch of pictures and you know, uh, a bunch of detail about the game. And here's one of the things that I learned about what Kobe did. Um, and how dedicated he was to the craft, okay? So it's one thing to study your own team, understand where your team operates, how your team gets its buckets. It's one thing to study who's on your team, who, what the strengths and weaknesses are of your team, who the who like uh, who, who's motivated by what, how you can push guys' buttons, leadership, all that sort of stuff. It's also one thing to know the other team, you know, what actions do they run? You know, how do they get their buckets? You know, what's their bread and butter? How, what are out of bounds plays they run? It's also one thing to know who the best player uh, or the players on the other team are. You know, who is their best player? Who's the underrated guy? Who's the, the specialists? You know, all the, uh, who's can't do this, can't do that, all this sort of stuff. It's one thing to know all those stuff. It's another thing to study the referees. This is the this is the length that Kobe Bryant went to to be great. So I read in this book that you know Kobe would actually read the refs the refs handbook, right? He would read the rules and not just the rules of the game, but the handbook also states you know if the ball is in position W, then how are refs X Y and Z position in relation to where the ball is on the court? And what he would find is there would there would be uh, places called dead zones where the refs are blind to certain activity on the court. So he studied where the referees would stand uh, in certain positions where the ball was on the court. So if the ball was in the low block, he would know where the refs are standing. If it was on the baseline, the top of the key, he would know where the refs are standing and supposed to be based on where the ball was. And so there created these spots called dead zones. And these dead zones are basically where the referees were blind to certain activity going on. So he would get away, he says, with little travels, little tugs, you know, uh, little push-offs, little grabs, all these little tricks of dark arts and tricks of the trade in these specific zones where the refs couldn't see it. And the reason he could get away with those sort of moves is because he knew the places where he could do these certain things where the refs wouldn't see it. So 
I'm sure other guys in the league know this too. I'm sure Kobe is not the only one to do this, but I didn't know about this. This was something that I just recently learned that, hey, like that's that kind of makes sense. Like there's certain places, you know, there's only three refs on the court. There's certain things the refs just won't be able to see, you know, based on the angle at which you're doing them or where the ball is uh, positioned or where your hands are positioned uh, in relation to where the referee can watch and monitor the activity. So, I thought that that was quite interesting. That is what I learned this week is uh, that basically Kobe studied the refs, <laughs> not just the not just the rules of the game, but you know where how the referees refereed the game, and you know that level of detail really just speaks uh, to Kobe Bryant and how incredible a competitor and a player. Uh, and a perfectionist he really was. So, you know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. A lot of us still haven't gotten over it, and uh, I'm, I'm still reeling, uh, to be honest. I can't believe it, it's still real. Uh, rest in peace, Kobe, Gigi, and the other, you know, seven passengers on board that helicopter. But anyway, uh, that's what I learned uh, this week uh, is Kobe Bryant and his ability to study not just uh, the rule book, but how the referees referee the game and what he could get away with uh, based on where the ball was on the floor. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the Super Bowl today. Um, who am I picking for the Super Bowl? I am gonna take. I'm gonna take Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't got a score for you, but I'm taking the Chiefs to win this game. Um, other than that, uh, I'll be back next week with my game of the week: Raptors Pacers. And, yeah, we'll just keep it moving from there. We'll have a trade deadline one as well. Uh, when the trade deadline gets here and passes, we'll go over all the trades that happen. Looks like it's going to be more of a quiet deadline. But, nonetheless, we'll review all the moves uh, that happened on the deadline as well. So we will be prepared for that in addition to a traditional uh, This Week in Basketball. But, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. You can find the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on social media, and you can find some of my uh, my posts there and stuff like that as well. Uh, but once again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon. See you later.